This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the true story of a New York City boy with big town hopes and small neighborhood dreams of becoming BFFs with the Real Housewives and other Bravo celebrities. Then, one day, that dream actually came true. Let me take you behind the velvet rope. Hey guys, this is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined from 3,000 miles away from the, I'm so excited, the new show, Dr. 90210 on E, Dr. Kelly Colleen. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. How are you? What's going on today? Um, Nothing much. I just finished a full day of clinic and now I'm hanging out with you. That's good. Well, welcome. Thank you for taking your time. So what is going on? Like, what have you been up to during COVID? I mean, things are kind of like, I would imagine your practice was closed for a minute and now it's kind of bad. Yeah, things have been absolutely wild because of COVID. So the second week of March, as was the same everywhere in the country, pretty much, Um, Every hospital shut down to elective surgery. There was actually an ordinance in Beverly Hills that no elective surgery could happen. So um, we were uh, shut down and not doing any kind of normal cosmetic or things that are considered kind of non-urgent. I did continue doing breast cancer reconstruction. So those were still happening, but only about one a week the whole time we were shut down, which was two months or so, which was pretty stressful, obviously, because I mean, it's your job, you want to work and you can't work and it's, it's hard. And then early June, we opened back up uh, first to medically necessary surgery. So things that are covered by insurance, like breast reductions or ruptured implants. And then about mid June, we opened up to literally everything. So I've been working the whole time, just not my full practice until June. 
were like the floodgates. Cause I mean, you know, I remember the first day that I can go get my Botox and Dysport. I was like, I, I need to come today. I can't even wait till tomorrow. Was it like a major influx the first day you opened? Yeah, it was, it was crazy. We really didn't know what to expect. You know, I think everybody was concerned because you think, well, people are not working. No one's going to have any disposable income. Like what is going to happen? And there was really no concern. It was, June is typically a slow month for plastic surgery. I think a lot of people, you know, their kids get out of school. They want to spend time with the family. They don't want to be doing stuff in the office here. And we had probably triple the volume that we normally have in June. Um, even during COVID, we had people like sending us obnoxious messages, demanding to come in with, you know, some kind of reason why they had to have their Botox immediately. And you were doing something bad by not letting them come in. I mean, it was, it was crazy what people's priorities are when there's a pandemic going on. Seriously. Yeah. You know, and also like, if you can't get a haircut, like what difference does it make? Like, there's a lot of things we couldn't have for the moment, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. Did you hear a lot of, you know, cause here, so I'm in New York city. So there was a lot here. Did you hear a lot of like, you know, hush, hush, like this doctor is going to this person's house and they're getting, you know, in Beverly Hills, yeah. people get what they want. There was a lot of that going on. You know, we had a lot of meetings within the plastics community. We had LA plastic surgical society. We had our national ASAPs and ASPS meetings where we were talking about COVID and kind of, how to properly reopen a practice, what types of cases should we be doing during the shutdown, should we be doing anything at all, including breast reconstruction. So I think most of us were pretty aggressively um, participating in all of these groups and every single meeting there was you know, somebody like, well, I heard that somebody down the street has been doing breast dogs the whole time. And you know, there, I heard that somebody did some cosmetic procedure when the shutdown was still going on and their patient got COVID and is in an ICU somewhere. Um, I'm sure a lot of it ended up not being true. I even had a patient come to me, some patient's mother was like, I heard you were operating the whole time. And I'm like, girl, relax. I was not doing those cases. I was operating the whole time, but I was doing breast cancer reconstructions. Right, which is a big difference. Which is a big difference. And, you know, a lot of the big hospitals were not allowing any reconstruction. So um, they stopped a lot of the cancer surgeries and the ones that they allowed, they weren't allowing them to have reconstruction. So I actually had two patients that were canceled at Cedars and then we ended up being able to do them here. And then they went to an aftercare facility. So instead of being in a hospital, they were able to still have it done, which was great for them. Wow. I mean, speaking of June being a slow month, which I never thought of, like, what's the busiest month for plastic surgery? I mean, for pretty much every type of surgery, November, December are the busiest months of the year. Um, not only do people typically have time off, it's also right before deductibles reset. So uh, anybody that has even a portion of their surgery that's covered by insurance, it's like the cheapest time of year for them to have surgery. So it's a circus in every doctor's office in December every year. Interesting. I mean, that's what I would have guessed, especially for like injectables and all that type of stuff. Yeah. And then Holiday I would parties think, and cards and all that kind of stuff. And then I was thinking like January, like if you need like major recovery, but I'm just guessing I'm not a surgeon. Yeah. January is actually pretty slow. It's one of the slower months and then things will start to pick back up usually about spring break time. Um, it's interesting. There's like a, an ebb and a flow every year and it's pretty consistent. Interesting. So where are you from originally and how did you end up in LA? So I grew up in Southern California. I'm um, a 909er, as they call us out here. I grew up about an hour and a half outside of LA in a town called Redlands. And so I um, 
went, I lived in that area through high school. And then I went to college in San Diego at UC San Diego. And I went back to my hometown to go to medical school. So I went to school there. And then I ended up in LA for my general surgery residency. So that's how I kind of became an LA local, so to speak. And um, I was here for six years at Cedar sinai for my general surgery training, which I completed in uh, 2009. And then I moved to Oregon for two years. I was in Portland, Oregon for my plastics training. Um, and then I came back down. Did you always know, like, growing up that you wanted to be a doctor? I didn't, actually. I come from a family that is full of many, many doctors and many different specialties. My, um, both my parents are surgeons. So I think as most people do, I didn't want to do anything my parents did. So I kind of wanted to do everything. My, my parents joked that I was on the major of the week program in college. I was on something different all the time. I have multiple areas of specialization in my major. I have multiple minors. Um, I just, I kind of couldn't get it together. And then what finally got me, and this is not allowed anymore, I uh, went and watched a surgery with my dad one summer near the end of college. And I was like, this shit's wild. I got to do this. So um, it became kind of a last minute flail because I was not prepared from a prerequisites um, standpoint to go to medical school. So I had to like quickly get everything done, but that's kind of how I decided to do it last minute. So you went like in, so you used to be able to go in the operating room and actually watch surgeries right there or is it like Grey's Anatomy, like where you sit up top? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot more complicated to have observers in the operating room now than it was back then. Like back then, it just was like, hey, I'm bringing someone in. Okay, sign a form. And then you would stand there and you can observe. It's not like that anymore in the hospitals. It's very difficult to have observers in the operating room, even people that, you know, really should be there, like medical students and reps from companies. Wow. So were your parents just all being doctors? Were they like bowing down and praising the Lord when you decided you wanted to be a doctor or were they not? They don't care. They don't don't give a flying fuck what I do. I think, um, honestly, it's like there's nothing exciting about what I do. I'm one of 45 doctors in my family, and it's there's nothing fabulous about being a doctor anymore in the Colleen household. Huh. Even a plastic surgeon, I would think that's so. No, I mean it's it's so disappointing. It's like for me, I had a couple friends in medical school who were kind of first generation college graduates, and then they went to medical school, and their families were so excited at graduation. My family was like, you know, just okay, like, okay. Yeah. There's nothing exciting or or unique about it. When did you decide that you wanted to go into plastics as opposed to like anything else? Um, I, I actually had a hard time in medical school. A lot of people will tell you that they like knew what they wanted to do. I'm one of these weird people that I like every rotation I'm on. And I have a hard time separating the people from the work, if that makes sense. So I, I knew I was a surgical personality very early on. And the things I liked about plastic surgery were that it's more creative and it's more thoughtful, I think, than a lot of other fields in surgery. There's less of an algorithm for how to treat problems. You know, if you have a colon cancer, if it's right here, you take out this part of the colon. Um, With plastic surgery, there's 10 ways to solve every problem. And so I think just kind of the intellectual stimulation of working through weird problems was really fun. And I also, I'm a pack animal. I like groups and you're always part of a team in plastics. You know, you're there supporting other surgeons in the operating room. Um, it's, it's just a neat feel. It's very cool. 
And your practice does really a little bit of everything, like, you know, breast reduction, like brow lifts, eye lifts, like everything. Like, is there a part of plastics you like the best? Yeah, I mean, I think you're trained to do everything. I'm a big believer in jack of all trades, master of none. I think it, there's really no such thing as a plastic surgeon who's excellent in everything. And anyone who tells you they are is full of shit. Um, I think that if you choose an area and that's your area, you get better and better at it. My area is uh, complex and revisions for breast surgery, both cosmetic and reconstructive. And I think that I'm, I love facial surgery and I, I miss it. I miss rhinoplasties. I miss doing a lot of the facial things I, I used to do. But I think to be superb at something, you really just have to do that. You can't do everything. Right. Has, how has plastic surgery like changed since you got into it, like over the years? Um, you know, there's always kind of ebbs and flows in surgery, like a new procedure uh, will become popular and then that will take over. Like earlier in my career, deep flaps or perforator breast reconstruction flaps were super hot and everybody was recommending a deep flap for every cancer patient. And then now it's pre-pectoral breast reconstruction. Everybody's getting a reconstruction over the muscle. Like there's always some new alteration that becomes the thing and then something else comes out and that's the thing. And I think that's what's really fun about plastic surgery. There's like a massive drive for better and more. And I, I love that. I love not sitting on your laurels and saying, I'm really great at this. I love the mentality of is this is never good enough. Let's get it better. And speaking of fads, like, do you see a lot of these fads come where you're just like, yeah, I'm not jumping on this bandwagon. I'm not going to do that. You know, that's yeah. either not safe or it just doesn't look aesthetically pleasing, like just because someone wants this. Like, do you say no a lot when people come in? I say no a lot. And I, you know, I tell people that it's Beverly Hills. If you wave your credit card around, someone will take it. And so it's just, it's just like in life, you know, a lot of, you'll see with celebrities, it's, they surround themselves with yes people and then they have no one telling them no. And then they get kookier and kookier as they age. I think you have to find a plastic surgeon who's blunt and honest and will be like, this is a bad plan. Um, there's a new weird fad every 30 minutes in plastic surgery. And I think it's very important that you don't jump on these fads quickly. You sit back and kind of watch and see where they go. And one of the problems with plastic surgery is in, you know, and this has been a problem all along is this obsession with creating bodies that don't exist in nature. And I think it's, it's problematic for a lot of reasons. I think it's one of the reasons we have such a bad rep in the world because we're creating people that don't really exist. They look like very pretty aliens and we shouldn't be doing that in my opinion. I mean, that's not where this specialty shines. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, do you think plastic surgery has like, is more prone to getting like a bad rap just because of doctors that will take a credit card and do whatever? Yeah, I mean, money makes people behave badly. And I think everybody listening to this can give you an example within their type of work where money made people make bad decisions. And I think um, one of the problems is people will prey off of the insecurities of primarily women and uh, you know, they'll say, Hey, you'll be, you'll be hotter. You'll be this, you'll be that. If you just had big, stupid tits and a gigantic ass that doesn't fit into clothes. I mean, we now have clothing brands that were created and designed purely to cover the giant asses that the Brazilian butt lifts have creating. I mean, I think it's problematic when you don't fit in clothes and you have to buy specialty clothes or alter your clothes to fit your giant tits and your giant ass. 
Um, and then that doesn't age well. I mean, what are these people going to look like when they're 80? We're already seeing them with like gross saggy butts that don't look like they did when they had them done two years ago. I mean, I can't even imagine what they're going to look like as grandmas. And it's, it's unfortunate. Do you have any other like do's or don'ts? Like, do you have any like hard lines? Like this is like a don't, just like advice to people that want to get surgery? Yeah. I mean, don't ever walk into a plastic surgeon's office and say, what would you do? Because beauty is, is the, the beauty standards are decided by society. They're not like from a Bible somewhere where your nose has to be like this and your eyes have to be like this. And so it's problematic when you're asking another human being, what doesn't look good on me? What should be changed? Because I see people all the time that have something that may be not ideal in a textbook standpoint, but they have a beautiful face and there's something about the balance of their face that works. And if they like their face, who am I to tell them to change it? Um, I think that we, we should stop labeling people as, as wrong or ugly because they have something that fits a little bit outside of the beauty standard. I mean, I'm completely supportive for women changing things that affect their self-esteem. I'm not supportive of women creating a version of themselves that's just not existing in nature. You know, it's just, we don't, we don't want that. That's, that's a weird message to be sending people that you're wrong the way you are. So let's completely alter you. So you don't even look like you were in the same planet of that you came from. It's, it's just, it's a strange world. It is. I mean, again, I'm in New York, you're in Beverly Hills. We're in kind of two of the worst offenders of this. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest things I see right now is young women getting things done that they don't need done. And it's, uh, it's a bummer. You know, I see all these people that are getting, you know, the hot thing, liquid rhinoplasties. And what, what you don't see on the Instagram is that when you add volume to your nose, it gets bigger. And a lot of these, you know, Instagram doctors will do the perspective. So the after is farther away. So you can't see that. Sure. The nose is straighter, but it's gigantic. And, you know, you have young women getting thread lifts and eyebrow lifts when they're in their teens and early 20s and all these stupid things. They're having fat taken out of their cheeks so they have a more sculpted cheek. Well, what is that going to look like when they're older and their cheeks lose fat anyway? They're going to look like a skeleton. Um, So they're not treating an actual problem. They're creating a face that doesn't exist on their body in nature. And then they're creating a big problem later. So... Um, I think that it's, it's very problematic. And of course, Instagram and filters and all this stuff is at the root of a lot of it, but there's a lot of unscrupulous doctors, injector nurses, and people out there that are, are preying on these young women and their insecurities. And it's uh, very unfortunate. And to your point, like social media really plays a big role in, I would think, plastic surgery now, either like from filters or like these unrealistic body types and faces, or, you know, just there's a lot of doctors that now are trying to have a whole social media presence. Not that that's a bad thing, but I would think social media just, that's a change in the industry. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a different iteration of the same problem. You know, when I was young, all of our parents were bitching about airbrushing. The photos on 17 magazine were airbrushed. They're not real, you know, and this is just our generation's version of airbrushing. I mean, young people want to look as good as possible and they download these tools onto their phone and like this, they can create a completely different picture than what was actually taken. 
And I think the problem is, is that you quickly lose perspective when you do that. You, you forget what you look like. You start thinking you look like that person that you don't look like. And then you try to do things surgically and um, minimally invasively to, to make yourself look like this person you're not in the first place. So it's this weird, vicious cycle we all get in. And I think it's even more toxic than the airbrushing of the magazine photos because we're in control of it. So, you know, someone with a wider nose that, air, you know, does face tunes their nose every photo. I mean, the, the, there's some weird psychology behind that. Like, that's a, that's a problem. Yeah. I, I really don't believe in a lot of face tuning because then you meet people and they're like, you look so much better. And I, I personally think I look much better in real life than any type of TV yeah. or anything. That's just my opinion. No, I, I won't. Do, number one, I don't know how to do it. And then me either. Two, I, I just, I think it sends a really bad message, especially to our kids. So I, I try not to do that. And as my picture Photoshop for the Dr. 90210 promo, yes, I'm sure it is, but um, it still looks like me. Right. Totally. I'm just like, some days I look great and other days I'm like exhausted and I'm on my third cup of coffee and I still can't wake up and I don't like craft today. Yeah. I mean, it happens to the best of us. Do you find a lot of people come in like with pictures of celebrities, you know, like everyone wants to like Kim Kardashian's ass and like Kylie Jenner's lips. Like, does that happen a lot where people specifically are like, I want this celebrity's whatever. If I I see Bella Hadid's tits one more time, I'm going to scream like that. uh, Emily Ratajkowski's boobs. I do primarily breast surgery. There's like certain celebrities. I see their boobs over and over again. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's problematic. I try to, I try to remove people from that and move them on. Okay. Let's talk about your breasts. What can we do to your breasts to make them more what makes you happy? Because we're not going to give you Bella Hadid's breasts. That's just not going to happen. And that's like right now in breast, those are two of the most requested. Yeah. And then for very small breasted women, believe it or not, Gwyneth Paltrow is another common one that I hear. So for a little bit larger breasts, it's always Emily Ratajkowski. I'd say for smaller, it's, it's usually Bella. And then the smallest would be Gwyneth. Those are the most common photos I see. Interesting. And, you know, I just, being a plastic surgeon, not in a bad way, but when you meet people, like I have a friend who's an interior designer and he tells me, you know, no judgment, but he can't go into someone's house without just in the back of his head thinking like, these are the things I would do differently. Like when you meet people, either like their breasts or their face, not that they're not attractive or if they're happy with themselves, great. But like, do you find yourself like sizing people up without being able to help it? Like when you meet them? I mean, honestly, not really. The only time I do that is when they've had bad work. And then I, I get like, I'm like obsessed with trying to figure out what's, what the fuck happened. Like, I'm like, what did, what did they do to that nose? Like that, that's more where I go. I never look at faces that way. Cause like I said, I, I love interesting faces. I love interesting bodies and people. And I, I think that's what makes people amazing and beautiful and fun. And I, I'm never doing that cause there's no right or wrong. And you know, sometimes people have that certain magic mix that doesn't make sense in a book, but it makes sense on their face. And so I don't, I don't ever do that. And, but if they have bad work, I do get weird and obsessive. I'm like, what happened? I want to know what that person did. That's so weird. And possibly the doctor that did it. Yeah. Well, that it's always, you're always curious. You always want to know like, who did this? I mean, cause I, I really can't tell, but being a plastic surgeon, like you can always tell, you can tell when someone had like a breast whatever face like you can just tell on someone yeah I mean you know I mean with, with clothes on it's hard face stuff's easier especially noses I can always spot a nose from a mile away 
um, you know, they have incisions and you can, t you can, you can, there's the kind of telltale signs. So, and, and then also when people have good work, I'm like, Oh, it's good. I like their, their look, they look beautiful. But, um, yeah, I try not to be weird and judgmental and I just don't want to be that person. What do you think the biggest difference is between like Beverly Hills and like say New York or like any other part of the country? Like, do you see a difference in like the request or like the work that's done or just like the look? Yeah, I mean, the look is definitely different between Beverly Hills and New York. It's just a very different aesthetic. I would say people in Beverly Hills like to look done, where people in New York don't like to look done when it comes to the face. When it comes to the body, it's pretty similar. Um, patients in LA are a lot more fitness oriented and, and thinner, sometimes to a toxic level. So we have a lot more of that weirdness going on out here. I have a lot of patients from New York and I would say the the things that they want are the same things that my Beverly Hills patients want. Interesting. Just Beverly Hills is a little more done. A little more done. Like they, they like to look done. And I think part of it is a little bit of a status symbol here where it's not in New York where people, it's like they want to look done because then it's like I have the money to do things. Um, and it's rare you have somebody from New York who's who wants that. Yeah, and someone once told me that, like, people in New York, you know, like, we're happy looking, you know, like, 10 years younger, 15 years younger, and Beverly Hills, it's more like, no, I want to look like I'm 22 all the time. Yeah, and you just can't. That's not how the world works. You can't do that. Unfortunately, that is not how the world works. Yeah, I wish it was. I really wish it was, too. Yeah. What about, like, what's one of the more insane cases you've had where someone's come in and said, like, I want this? You know, like, you look at, like, some of the plastic surgery shows that are on the air, and then we're going to get into Dr. Neto 2 and 0, but where someone comes in and they're like, I mean, what they want is just, like, so, it's not even, like, you know, like, on Botched, we saw someone wanted to look like an alien, which is not, yeah. no, no judgments. You know, I honestly don't see a lot of that. I, I would say 99.99% of the patients I see are just completely normal, lovely people who have a real small issue and want to have it fixed. I would say the weirder things I see are when people have normal anatomy and they want that fixed. Like for instance, I have on a regular basis, girls will call and we have these little glands on our areola that make lubrication. They're there for breastfeeding. They're normal. We all have them and they want them removed because they want their areola completely smooth. Like things like that, that to me, I find bonkers and weird. Um, I'm just lucky. I have a really nice, normal patient population of lovely people. And, um, I don't, I don't deal with people that want to look like koalas and aliens and all these other weird animals. Thank God because I'm not the right surgeon for them for sure. Well, that's good. Yeah. What about, like, are there any trends right now that are hot that people are requesting more so than others? I would say probably the biggest trends right now in surgery are implant breast surgery, implant removals. Um, the big stupid implants that were placed in the 90s where women have tits this big, they're over it and they want them out. Um, there's also a decent chunk of the um, women that I do that are concerned that their implants are making them ill. So implant removals are hot right now and doing them in a way where your breast is not like demolished by the implant is important. So that's probably one of the hottest trends. And then also um, breast augmentations without implants. So just using fat is a hot trend right now as well. Interesting. 
So, okay, so let's talk reality TV, switching sure. gears, because I know you told me that that's when my ears perked up. I was excited to chat with you anyway, but when you told me that you love reality TV. So first, let's take it to, do you love any reality TV like now? Putting the plastic surgery shows aside. Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm like an old school reality TV person. So I'm in my early 40s and I've been in reality TV since its beginnings. Like I was all in on the real world for season after season all over the country. I think Seattle was probably my favorite. Um, I like San Diego too and New Orleans. Um, I love weird reality TV. I love Sister Wives. I'm not going to lie. I like to see what weird shit goes on in that family. Um, Honey Boo Boo was my jam for a while because there was a lot happening there. Um, I forget the name of the show. The one where the guys hunt the alligators in Louisiana. I like that reality yes. show. Um, Duck Dynasty. Oh, I love that one too. Yeah. Duck Dynasty I was into. I um, All Real Housewives were my jam. I love the Bethany Frankel spinoff. I love Bethany Frankel. Um, the old, uh, I like the OC, original OC cast the best. I like um, the original um, Beverly Hills cast, although I love Teddy Mellencamp. Teddy's my jam. I, I like all of it. I love Vanderpump Rules, but I don't love it as much now. It was more fun the first two seasons, I think. And then it just got weird and I don't know. They're just a too lot famous. Of yeah, they're too big for their own britches. It was more fun when they were a bunch of nobodies that would rather like drink a martini than eat dinner that night. So Yeah, I, I mean, I get I always have a problem with like it's same thing like with the Kardashians, like when the Kardashians find when I love keeping up with the Kardashians, like when they yeah. finally started showing them being hound by the paparazzi, you're like well, this makes sense. I hate when like they show the servers yeah. working at Sir, and you're like, yeah, but you're making like five hundred thousand dollars a season off. Yeah, it was more fun when they weren't like the whole thing that's fun to me about reality TV is I get to peek into someone's life that I would normally never get to know about, and so that's what I find really interesting about it. Like I even used to watch all of the Life in the ER reality shows on TLC when I was a medical student and college student. I mean, I love all that shit. I'll watch any of it. I love it. I, I love it. Do you know any of the Beverly Hills Housewives? I have met just socially, like they walked into the nail place. The nail place across the street is a hotbed for everybody in Beverly Hills. Um, I've met them all, but I don't really know any of them. Um, I would love to know them. I think they're awesome. I love Lisa Vanderpump. She's kind of amazing. Um, yeah, they're just great. Who do you think on Beverly Hills has just, ha from watching the show, has had, like, just great surgery, whatever it is? Um, I would say probably my favorite, and this is going to, I would say Kyle Richards is probably number one. I mean, she just looks normal, right? I mean, she just looks like someone who hasn't had anything done, which is completely what I would want. And um, Erica Jane, I mean, you know, she's done up. But bitch is gorgeous. I mean, she just looks flawless. She looks age appropriate and hot, which I think should be everyone's jam. Like, like you were saying, like she's not trying to be 20 and she doesn't need to be to be hot. She's just hot. She's Erica Jane. She's Erica Jane. I mean, come on. Right? She's amazing. Who, who do you look at, you know, either current or past and say, oh, this person's surgeries could have been better on Beverly Hills. I mean, I don't, okay, so I can't answer this question, but there's two reasons. So first of all, 
I, I feel weird about these kind of questions because question number one, people feel shitty about themselves. So they had surgery because they feel shitty about themselves. And regardless of the outcome, I don't want to make them feel shittier by saying that you don't look good. Number two, I know most of the plastic surgeons. And so I don't want to disparage my friends and colleagues because honestly, you never know what went on between the patient and that surgeon. They may have bullied the surgeon into something that the surgeon didn't want to do. And certainly they should have said no, but there's always more to the story. And so I just feel icky about disparaging someone um, when they obviously didn't feel good about themselves. That's why they did it in the first place. That's true. I mean, do people ask you that type of stuff all the time? I do. And we get asked for press stuff where they want me to comment on someone's stuff and I won't do it because I'm someone who's had plastic surgery. I had a breast augmentation. I didn't feel good about myself. I fucking know what it feels like. It feels awful. And to have the whole country commenting on an area of your body that you don't feel good about, I mean, fuck all of them. It's not their business. And um, I don't know. It just feels gross to me. So I won't do it. There's a couple plastic surgeons that are like notorious for that. They're on every magazine talking about celebrities, plastic surgery. And I just think it's gross. I, I could see that. I mean, I guess they feel like it'll help their practice, which I can yeah, see they it get working exposure in a magazine, but I mean, that's exposure I don't need. Like I'm, I'm, I'm way happier just doing other things. When people ask you for these comments in the press that you don't give, is it mostly like housewife types in reality or it's just across the board? It's across the board, but the, the housewives, they, they get, they get a disproportionate level of hate for whatever reason. People love to hate on the housewives. They do. People are just obsessed with the housewives. I know, because they're amazing. I get it. But yeah, I don't want to be on the hate train. I like them all. Do you know any of the OC housewives since you're so close by? No, I've never encountered any of them. And I would love to. I think they're amazing. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Um, I want to ask. I want to ask Gretchen what the fuck she's still doing with Slade. I need to know what's happening with that because it's like that guy. I mean, if you follow the OC Housewives in the beginning, oh, I followed know, it. He's he is not right in the head, and like Gretchen is so beautiful and like smart and sassy. Why? I just don't understand why. Every time I see them, I'm like, ugh, drop him. Listen, anyone that calls my BFF Vicky Gumbelson a pig, I have a problem with. <laughs> I mean. Yes. Vicky, Vicky is like the queen of reality uh, TV on Bravo. Like no one, no one should ever disparage her. It's, I, I, I'll come for them too. I'm right there with you. I'll cut I, a bit for that. Right? Yeah. I mean, when people get bad, I mean, speaking of bad plastic surgery, when people get bad plastic surgery, do you think that they know it? Like all, you know, I mean, people that come to get it fixed, sure. But like, to your point, you don't want to comment, which I know you don't want to comment anyway, but like, are people aware of it or not really? It's what they wanted. 
You know, sometimes yes and sometimes no. I think, you know, when you live in an environment, an uber wealthy environment, like this bubble of Beverly Hills, they're all doing the same thing and they lose perspective because everyone they know has done it and then it becomes normal to them. It becomes a status symbol. Everybody had their facelift by that guy that charges $200,000 and they all look the same. And I, I think they, they lose perspective a little bit. And, you know, again, beauty standards are made up by society. They're not set in stone. And so if someone's telling you this is beautiful, you may not recognize it looks different or odd or, you know, all the, the weird alien vibes that most of us get from that stuff. Did you always know you wanted, I mean, being from California, did you always know you wanted to be in LA for, I mean, I would assume, I mean, that's yeah, I'm, where you I'm, I'm a lover of San Diego too. I, a lot of my family's from San Diego, but I love a good beach city. I love, there's so many, one, I mean, LA is just the best. LA has the best weather. We're in proximity to skiing, to the desert. I mean, there's just the beach. There's so much to do here. I love the culture. I love the people. I, I love all of it. LA is amazing. It's a great place to live. I would live there if yeah, I didn't live in New York. Yeah, it's awesome. I feel so lucky to be here. It's great. Did you get into like any of the plastic surgery shows like back in the day, like Extreme Makeover? You know, weirdly, I never was into those shows, I, it, which is interesting because I am a lover of plastic surgery. And it probably stems out of what I just told you. I just feel a little weird about people having plastic surgery for what I perceive is not necessarily the right reasons. So yeah, I was never into those shows. Like the Swan. I don't even know if you know what the Swan is, but yeah, I know. I know. I I totally know what the Swan is. Yeah. And it was a a monster show. I, I actually have never seen an episode of it. I don't know if you would, based on what you're saying, approve of it, but it was seriously, as far as I'm concerned, one of the best reality shows. I mean, it was... Well, now I should go back and watch it. I'm sure I can find it somewhere. It was like, well, first of all, Dr. Terry Dubrow was one of the doctors. So that's... Oh, well, then I'm sure I can find it somewhere. But I mean, it's literally like, we're talking extreme, extreme makeover. And like, you're literally put in a hotel where all the mirrors are covered for like months. And then there's a big reveal. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, I've never seen it. That's crazy. It's, it got a lot of flack because of what it stood for and the whole message it was sending. But if you just want to take your mind out of it and just watch them mindless reality TV. It's an amazing show. Yeah. So I should probably watch it then. What about like Nip Talk? Like, did you ever watch Nip Talk or like Grey's Anatomy? Which I mean, is not plastic surgery, but just surgery in general. No, you know, we, weirdly, though, I never watched Grey's Anatomy. I its heyday was when I was a resident, and I had a patient tell me they reminded me of someone on that show every five seconds. And then the Grey's Anatomy's producers would actually interview and do stuff with the residents at Cedars. Um, so oh. they, they were swimming around. They were actually at one point slated to follow us when I think I was a chief resident, but the lawyers wouldn't let them in the hospital. Um, so I, I kind of am aware of Grey's Anatomy. I never watched it. I'm, I'm so bad. I, I need my sleep. I would go home after working as a resident. I just want to go to bed. I didn't want to stay up and watch a show. Um, so if it wasn't on on the weekend or a repeat like on Bravo, I'm not watching it. Do you watch Selling Sunset or any of the real estate shows? No, which is funny because Mich- my friend, so I know you talked to my friend Michelle Lee today. So Michelle's been like trying so hardcore to get me to watch the show. She's like, it's the best show ever. So I think that's going to be next. I just, my reality shows I've done lately, I, um, I watched Indian Matchmaker, which was I haven't great. watched it, but everyone says it's so great. 
it's, it's great. It's, it's an interesting commentary. It's almost like sad because it's kind of the death of something that was so prevalent in their culture. And now it's just, you see why it just doesn't work in today's world. Um, but yeah, I got I got to watch it. It's pretty amazing. You see, million dollar listing. I've watched million dollar listing too. So I know I would like it. I just need to, I need to get motivated. There's just so much good content right I now know. on so many platforms. I have so many things that I'm waiting to watch. Million dollar listing is great. So I, I agree. I'm like, I have no time. I am not watching Selling Sunset. The first season came and went. I'm like, good luck. The second season came during COVID and it got all this buzz. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch the pilot and that will be the end of it all. Just yeah. move on in life and say I've, it will change your life. Michelle is correct in this. It's phenomenal. Okay, I have to watch it. Yeah, well, I just had yogurt with her right now and she was talking about it again. So I'm like, okay, I have to watch this show. Well, you know what it is? It's Adam DeVello who did The Hills. So like, if you like yeah. The Hills. Oh, I love The Hills. I forgot about The Hills. The Hills, the Hills is what- great. So it's everything. So this feels like The Hills. It's just for real estate. And it's like, listen, it also sends a bad message in a sense that all the real estate agents are dropped dead gorgeous and like a size zero. But again, yeah. just put that out of your mind. And okay, it's like, I'll, I'll try to move that into a different box. That's, that's what I would recommend to you. Um, so you never watched any of those. So that's what I would I'd recommend. Could you know anyone from Million Dollar Listing? Speaking of that. No, I see all of their signs though when I drive. I live um, in the hills, uh, Benedict Canyon. So I see, you know, Josh Flagg and, you know, every once in a while, one of their signs. And I'm like, oh my God, I'd love to go to one of their showings just to like see them there. If you had to buy a house tomorrow, which one would you hire? Flagg, Altman, Honestly, none of them because... I, as much as I love to watch them, my perception is, is it's all about them and they don't really think at all about the people they're selling houses for. So they're fun to watch, but I just can't imagine having them, especially in LA, I can't imagine them brokering a good deal for me. Well, I always wonder, like when you see that, like the person would take less or more and like, you just kind of, it's, it's almost like too much information if that's yeah. your agent. It's a lot. So how did you get involved with the new Dr. 90210? So about five years ago, I had just moved back to LA. So I did a stint in the Midwest um, after my fellowship. And then I moved back to Los Angeles and I'd been here for a couple months. And um, Dr. Court's husband is friendly with, it, it's so ancestral in the Beverly Hills and plastics community. Um, Dr. Court's husband is friendly with my coordinator, Jade. My coordinator, Jade, also worked for Terry, um, not Terry, um, Paul Nassif, by the way, as did half of my office. So it's like everybody knows each other. And so Jade ran into Rick and Rick was like, hey, my wife was on a pilot for a show. They're looking to recast one of the people on it. Do you know any like fun female surgeons? Because it's going to be a female oriented show. So Jade was like, do I? And she... Um, basically got them to send the pilot. So I watched the pilot they had already shot and they said, Hey, this is what we want to do. And I did a, an interview and then it was, I did a second follow-up interview and then it was like crickets. I heard nothing for years. And then earlier in 2019, I got a call from the casting producer that I had talked to and he said, Hey, um, there's been kind of a shake up at E and they're relooking at a bunch of shows that they had passed on previously um, and going to seeing if they're going to any that they want to rework or do something different to. So they ended up, you know, I, apparently they have talked to everybody in town and um, they decided to try to recast again. And about a month later, I got a phone call midday in the middle of my clinic with just screaming people. And I'm like, who the fuck is this? 
and they're like, oh my God, I'm the executive producer. I'm Mark. Like uh, our show got picked up for a full season. Oh my God, they chose you. Ah, it's happening. And I was like, oh my God, this is, this is happening. It was really just unexpected and random. And I mean, anyone who's familiar with kind of the plastics environment here, I audition for a show every six months. I mean, there is, we constantly have things coming through. There's always things in development in this area. Plastic surgery is very sexy. So there's lots of different networks trying to develop things. So I'll, we'll get a reach out and then I'll do some Skype interview and then we won't hear anything from it. So, you know, it was just crazy that this got picked up. Were you shocked? Like, oh, cause it sounds like it was years later. Yeah, I was totally shocked. I'm, you know, it's, it's wild to me. And so Michelle had just moved here down the street. So I hadn't even met her yet. Her and I had become very good friends. Her building is like right, like a, a one door down from me. So wow. we hang out a couple times a week and she's, she's a really good friend now. And where is anyone like Michelle or Suzanne, like is the Kurt or Dr. Cat, like none of them were involved in the first iteration. Like that wasn't the cat. Um, Suzanne and Cat were. Okay. Yeah, and then there was another surgeon that they decided to replace, and then Michelle and I replaced the other surgeon. So when you got the show, I mean, considering you were in the mix for other things, were you, like, so thrilled? Like, did you want to be on TV? Did you, like, I mean, did you have I, reservations? I wasn't, I wasn't pursuing it. Like, all these things just pour in when you're in Beverly Hills. Like, I, I never was against being on a show, but I wasn't, like, looking for it. If, if they didn't come and ask, I wouldn't have looked for it. Um, but now that I've done it, it's so much fun. I can't imagine, uh, not being somehow involved with the industry. I love all of it. I just, I love learning about it. It's like a whole different world being involved with the industry. It's great. Did you have reservations? Like, you know. Yeah. I mean, the main thing that I was concerned about, and this is what everyone tells you is that you lose control of how you're edited. And so it's really easy in the editing process for them to make you appear differently than you actually are. And so um, before I knew everyone, you're kind of like, how are they going to make me look? But now that I've gone through the process and I know um, everyone in the, in the show, involved with the show so well, and they are all amazing people, their goals are the same as my goals. Um, I think this is going to be a really fun um, take on Dr. 90210, and I, I hope people love it. Did you watch the original? I did. I did watch the, the original I watched. It was on when I was a resident, so we would watch it on the um, TV in the resident lounge. Dr. Jason Diamond, Will Kirby. Do you watch Big Brother, by the way? You know, that is one of the few reality shows I never got into. It's not my thing. That's another one, but that's at least a huge commitment. Selling Sunset, you can just bang it out in like a weekend. Okay, good. Well, I can definitely do that then. What did you, were you, like, what was the filming like? Like, did you, were you more aware of the cameras like in your personal life or when you were doing surgery? Like, did you mind the cameras um, in one aspect more than the other? You know, I honestly don't mind them at all. And this is going to sound weird, but like surgeons were used to performing and being like watched by lots of people. I mean, when I'm in the operating room, I have a crew of people in there watching me and assisting me. And so it was, I think the least bothersome in the operating room. They also can't ask you to repeat anything in the operating room because no. you can't repeat anything in the operating room. So that was the most kind of natural of it. I think the weirdest was to get used to was when they were in the office and the inner office interactions with me and my staff. I think because everybody was kind of like, 
there's cameras on us. And it, it took a while to get used to. And the crew is not small. Um, I don't know what I thought, but I thought there'd be like two guys there. There's like a crew of 15 to 20 people every day that they shoot. So it's, it's a lot. Um, but I liked it. I'm kind of like, I'm kind of an attention whore and I love attention and you get a lot of attention. Was your staff excited or were they like, oh my oh, God, yeah. we're going to be on TV? Totally. And you know, the funny thing is, is my, um, one of my patient concierges, Desiree is actually Dr. Ray's coordinator. Um, she was with him during the filming of the first Dr. 90210. So it's kind of fun that she's been involved with both of them now. That's so funny. Yeah. Do, do you watch Botched? Like speaking of Terry and Paul? Yes, I do watch Botched. I, I think Botched has done a lot of good things for plastic surgery in that it's really demonstrated to the American public that all people performing this type of surgery are not equal and it's really buyer beware. And they also highlight patients who had a really patient-driven bad outcome, meaning the patient pushed, pushed, pushed for something that was just wrong. Um, and then finally, they say no a lot, which I, I think is really important for patients and people, the American public to see. I think it's important for people to see that like good ethical surgeons, they, they say no. Yeah, I mean, I think that's as soon as I hear a surgeon or anybody saying no in their business, it's kind of like I'm on board. I'm like, yeah. now I trust you for everything. I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it's nice to see people like Terry and Paul that are just normal. They're just normal people doing a really cool job. And I think that's the other reason people love Botched. It's like the, the patients and the situations are extreme, but it's just, it's, it's cool to see into the lives of plastic surgeons. I mean, we're, we're normal just like them. Do you know Terry or Paul in real life? No, I don't. Like I said, my entire office has worked for Paul, which is funny. Um, I tried to get him on the phone when um, I was first kind of signing the contract and doing all the work for the show. And then he was like in Australia on vacation and it just didn't work out before all of that happened. But yeah, I'd love to meet him in real life. So just from a show point of view, Terry or Paul, if you have to choose one. I mean, I think I would choose Paul. I, I love his quirky sense of humor and there's just something about him, which just makes me giggle. I don't know what it is. There's just something wacky about him in a lovable way. So why do you think this show was greenlit now? Like, I mean, I read that statistic, which I didn't, so it's like 15% of plastic surgeons are women. Like, don't you think that's yeah. like an important, like that's gotta be in the back of your mind of, you know, like if you think about it, there's really no plastic surgery show that's been a reality show that's been like, you know, an all female cast before. Yeah. I mean, I think it was an interesting, perfect storm that greenlit the show. I think that now is the time when people are very interested in inequality and um, things being fair and equitable in different workplaces. So I think that, you know, women's struggles and a lot of professional careers have been highlighted. So I think that was certainly helpful. Um, I, I think that, people like plastic surgery and a lot of the plastic surgery shows and shows that feature this kind of stuff have been around for a long time. So I think people are interested in something new and different and that will, that will certainly be it in this show. Did you, did you know the other doctors before the show? I mean, you said you didn't know Michelle, but like, did you know 
Dr. No, Pat. I didn't. I didn't know. I had met Dr. Begovic one time. I one time before, but no, I didn't know any of them. Um, Suzanne works far away, so you know. Although I, I have a lot of uh, texting and kind of chatting on the back with her, I don't really know her that well. And then, like I said, Michelle and I have become very good friends because we're right. We're neighbors here in town. And we hang out a lot. That's great. Do you did you face a lot of like stereotypes like in your real business, not on TV, just as far as like being a woman who wanted to be a surgeon and then a plastic surgeon. Like, was that a big thing or am I overemphasizing that? No, I mean, you know, it's interesting. If you, if you would have asked me a few years ago, the same question, I would have said like, no, everything was fine. But like the more it's, it's, it's interesting. The more I go back and I look at my experience as a resident, I'm mostly in general surgery, less so in plastic surgery. I think my plastics training was extremely female friendly and I had, we had a female chairman. I think she was the only one in the country at the time. And, um, a, a pretty, I think half of our faculty was female at OHSU. So it was just a different experience, but some of the stuff that went on in my training, although I could deal with it and I was fine, just wasn't okay. Um, for example, when I was an intern, the chief residents put me on the schedule as Bambi instead of Dr. Colleen. And they thought it was funny because they're like, you look like you should be a stripper more than you should be a surgeon. And so I would have nurses calling me as Dr. Bambi. And, um, you know, haha, funny, but it's not fucking funny. And then um, I actually, some of you'll, you'll, if you ever run into some of my old chief residents, they still call me Bambi or Boom Bizzle, which was another one of my nicknames. But it's kind of, it's kind of like looking back on it, you're like, it's not okay. Like I get that it's kind of funny, but it's, it's just not okay. And I had this just awful human as an advisor when I was an early general surgery resident. And he was um, a trauma surgeon. And like the very first time you have to meet with them every quarter, it's like part of the rules. And he, he was like, Oh, how are you doing? How are you sleeping? You know, asking all the questions. He had a list of questions he had to ask me. So he's asking me and I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I'm tired, but I'm fine. And we're doing great. And at the end of the conversation, he just said, you know, I just don't think you're cut out for this. It's like, no, no reason. I hadn't had any problems. I had just started my residency. I'm a superb doctor. I worked very hard. I had no trouble. I've never been in trouble. And I was like, and like thinking back on it, it's like, fuck you, like, you know, fuck you to try to discourage somebody just starting out their career. But I mean, I can list a hundred things like that where there was like some weird interaction and I'm fine. I got through it. No problem. But should I, should I have had to get through that? You know, you know, should I have had to, and maybe somebody different than me wouldn't have done well in the environment. And that's not really fair. I mean, it should be set up so everybody can succeed. Yeah. Like, and like you said, like the Bambi thing, like I get it, like that probably didn't bother you at the time, but then you think about it and you're like, well, wait a second. Yeah. Wait a second. Like I don't look like a stripper. I've never, yeah. looked like a and you know what? There's nothing wrong with being a stripper, but I wasn't a stripper. I was a, I was a physician. I was a young physician and I, it's really disrespectful and inappropriate and it should have never happened. And one, one of the things that sticks out from the, from the trailer for me is when the woman comes in and I think she wants like a breast reduction and you're, you know, and she's like, well, every male doctor I go to just assumes I want bigger boobs. Yeah. I hear that a lot. I hear that from patients all the time. And I, I have patients that specifically choose me when they've seen 10 people because I'm the only surgeon that asked them what they want and didn't tell them what they should want. Um, I think, you know, like, like I say this on the, on the trailer too, is that women, we just have a different relationship with boobs. 
Um, we know what it's like to have them, to have them stared at, to have them judged. Um, we know what it's like to have them too big or too small or too saggy. And we know what all of these things feel like. And I think a lot of women just want to be asked what they want when they come into the plastic surgeon's office. They don't want to be told what they should want. Just like I was saying for any type of surgery, you know, if, if I walk in and I'm insecure and you're like, oh, you need to do four things. And the only thing I was insecure was something totally different. I mean, no, I mean, that's just not how it's supposed to be. It's not empowering. It's not helpful for women. It's, it's bad. Yeah. You're like, well, I wasn't even thinking of those four things. So thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for giving me a complex on something else in my life. Seriously. What do you think? Like, what can we expect this coming season? Well, I think the fun things about our show, it's, you know, this is what, you know, kind of my mantra has been for a long time now is that, you know, part of feminism is not that every woman should be out working in a professional career. Part of feminism is that every woman should just be able to be who they want to be and do what they want to do. And I think the fun thing about the show is they were really smart with choosing four very different personalities and showing that we all kind of can do, you can be a great surgeon, but be very different people. One of the big things that I've experienced in my career is that I'm told a lot how a woman in surgery should be. Um, fuck you. I don't want to be who you want me to be. I want to be who I am. And it doesn't affect how I am with patients. It doesn't affect how I am in the operating room. And it certainly doesn't affect my surgical skill. And so I think the fun thing is you're going to see great outcomes from four different people and see that we can be whoever we want and still do a great job. And with these four different types of women, what type would you say you are? You know, like there's maybe the quiet one, the, like how would you describe yourself? Um, I'm definitely not quiet. Um, I'm always the one with like the witty comeback and I have a lot of sass with what I say. And um, there's a lot of bleeping as you've probably already noticed with me, that's just unfortunately who I am. That's okay. And yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just who I am. And I think that, um, I, I truly love people. And so I think that comes out with how I take care of people. I really try to listen to what they want and, uh, give them the outcomes they want while respecting their bodies and their wishes. I think it's going to be a great show. I'm so excited for it to be Good. here. And everyone to watch it. I mean, the first one was great. So I think this is a great idea. I think this show should have been greenlit a long time ago. Yeah, me too. Right? Yeah. Is there anything else you want to leave us with? Anything I didn't cover or touch upon? I always like to give people a chance at the end. Yeah, absolutely. I think, like I said, the fun thing about the show is that you get a window into what is what life is like as a female surgeon, which is just different than it is for a male surgeon. So for everybody watching, if there's things that you want to know more about and you're curious that how we make our lives tick, just let us know. Send me a DM, um, you know, email me through my office and we can think about that for next season. Hopefully uh, we can really get you guys a nice window into the realities of what it's like being a woman in Beverly Hills practicing plastic surgery. I think, you know, everyone's seen amazing patient stories and you're going to see that with this series too. But I think what makes it unique is you're going to see the, the different kind of fun personalities that become plastic surgeons. Right. We're going to get to see in the operating room and what you guys are up to in life outside Absolutely. of the operating room, which is going to be great. I think it's going to be a huge hit. Everyone needs to watch September 28th. It premieres. It's going to be amazing. You have to keep in touch. You are very good about getting back to with your DM. So I appreciate that. DM me, people. If you have something you want to see, let me know.
She will respond. She will respond. <laughs> so I really appreciate you taking your time. If I were in LA, I would be coming to you for my own facial injection. So <laughs> if I, the next time I am in LA, I will let you know I will stop by. Perfect. I'd love to meet you in person. So I really appreciate this. Thank you so much. My pleasure. It was nice meeting you. And Dr. Um, watch the show. Let me know what you think. Oh, I'm going to let you know as soon as I watch the first episode. Dr. Kelly Colleen, everyone. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind The Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me, and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.